Uh, good morning, everybody. You know, uh, I was just looking through my diary, and the last time I was in this worship hall for uh, a worship was on the 23rd of February. February! Because in March, I fell ill, and I, I skipped church for the whole of March, except for one decentralized cell group worship, uh, Ching An's group, uh, Alan's group downstairs. Uh, so really, it was 23rd of February. And then, of course, Circuit Breaker uh, kicked in, and then uh, we, we couldn't meet. So it's been almost six months, absent from church for six months, and you can understand why I so look forward to uh, coming here to meet all of you. So I, I really thank God. Now, this is a live stream message, our first, and uh, I was told to keep it a little bit shorter. Now, what I intend to do is I will keep it a little bit shorter, but for the second service, because it's not live stream, uh, I will just uh, tell more stories and you will be a bit longer, all right? Now, one of the challenges of this message is that this is really a very familiar message. When I was preparing the message, I realized that there is hardly anything on this topic, and I read many, many books, that I have not already learned, that I, don't have, uh, that I have not already heard. But I sense, uh, when I was just praying uh, before the Lord, I was told by the Lord that it is, uh, there is a big difference between me convincing the lis listeners and Him convicting the hearers. And this is what I pray, that God will speak to you very personally, very deeply, and uh, there will be a conviction to do what He wants you to do today because the message is so personal to you. You know, let's start with... Uh, okay, sorry, I should. I want to start with this slide on the origin of offense before I start with the sermon proper. Uh, when we are wrong, there is a sense that the offender has taken something away from, from us. So for example, uh, the word gets around that uh, you have been dishonest, and of course it's not true, and your, your credibility is attacked. Something is taken from you because your name is tarnished. And when a man treats somebody very shamefully, very unjustly, his dignity is destroyed. Uh, when a person is publicly humiliated, uh, his self-esteem is lowered. So see, something is lost, and there is an imbalance, uh, which is why we, we talk like this, uh, that you owe me an apology, because there's an imbalance that needs to be balanced. Uh, you, I will get even with you. I will settle the score with you one day. This is how we talk when there is offence caused. So what do we do? Uh, the remedy is admission. That would be good. When you admit, uh, you're saying that, well, I can say, you are wrong and I'm right. So an admission, an apology is, is useful. Compensation, restitution, or sometimes resignation will appease you. And so sometimes you go to a restaurant and you're not very happy with, with the service or something like that. Uh, they will give you an, a discount on the bill. They may waive service charge. They will give you a dessert. 
So this is a way to compensate. Uh, and this is one way. There's an alternative way. If you can't get that for yourself, you know, a transfer to yourself, then some people uh, will settle the score in some other way. I call it reciprocate. And what do I mean? Uh, instead of re retaliating and you're very, very unhappy and you know you cannot retaliate, uh, you, you re reciprocate this way. You didn't defend me the last time. I will not speak up for you this time. So you reciprocate. You were uncooperative with me. Why should I be making it things easier for you? You reciprocate. Okay, so sometimes there is no compensation, there is no restitution, there is no resignation, there is no apologies, no admission, and we cannot reciprocate. What do we do? When all else fails, now usually this is, this is where there is a problem, because then you keep it in your heart, and then you, it will grow. It will grow into resentment, and when it is long enough, it will be... Uh, it will be bitterness. How do we know when the heart is bitter and when there is resentment? Well, you'll know because you keep on relieving the pain and if there is an opportunity to talk about the incident, it will all come out and you have no good feelings and nothing good thoughts, no good thoughts, no good feelings about the person who has offended you. And when you do talk about the offender, the comments that come out from your mouth will be Complaints, it will be critical words, negative words, condemning words, accusatory words. You may even be quietly satisfied that well, something is not good. Something, is not, something not good is happening to this person. You're, you're quietly satisfied. Then you know you're in that territory of resentment and bitterness. So just watch it, okay? It only happens when all things fail. You can't balance the balance sheet. There's no transfer, no apology, no restitution, compensation. That is the danger zone. Now, this is uh, my sermon uh, approach today. Uh, it, it's in three parts, and I'll move quickly. I'll talk to you about the two ways to live, the two, sorry, the word is two kingdoms at war, and two steps to take. So let me talk about the two ways to live. Now, this is um, a very, very familiar uh, sermon, uh, sorry, the parable that you get in Matthew chapter 18. And I will be very, very fast in um, highlighting the key parts. Okay, Matthew 18, verse 23 to 27. In the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife, his children, all he had, and payment to be made. And his servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you 
everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And this fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. The master then summoned him and said to him, Wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all their debts. Verse 35, And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from the heart. I know, right? You, you have heard this 50 times. You have read this 100 times. Uh, but just to... So that's why I want to be fast. Just to give you an idea what is the disparity of the debt. Uh, one talent is 20 years of wages, so 10,000 talents was 200,000 200, days of wages. And if you, a, a laborer's wage, you know, the, the Blancadashi, the foreign workers, maybe they earn about $50 a day. So it's 18,000 per year or $3.6 billion. Uh, the other servants that, that number two, a denarii is one day's wages, 100 denarii is, of course, wages for 100 days. $50 a day, $5,000. So $3.6 billion and $5,000 is a big disparity. But actually, this is not... What is the point of this parable? The point of this parable is that there are two ways to live. Okay? There are two standards to live by. You can live under the standard of, of the law. So the standard is justice if you live under the law, or you live under grace, and the standard will be mercy if it is under grace. Now, you may think that it is very... Uh, Easy to decide. Of course, I want to live under grace. But actually, uh, it is not so obvious that we will always choose to live under grace. We have a sense of justice. Instinctively, we want to... Uh, let me just go back to the... Yeah. Instinctively, we want things to be fair. We are always comparing and... So, for example, if, why is he getting two months bonus and I get 1.5? Why does he have a day off and I don't have? We're always comparing because there is a sense that things must be fair. So we, we do keep scores. Uh, the problem we have uh, is that uh, we practice double standard. It's called dualism. When it comes to when we sin, we plead for mercy. 
when we are sinned against, we cry for justice. When we go to God, we pray, Lord, please deal with us graciously. But when it is concerning the person who has offended us, Lord, you are a God of justice. Please deal with him justly as he deserves. Please handle the situation. You know the injustice of it all. So this is how we, we come before God. Actually, we practice double standard. And this is the kingdom principle, all right? The kingdom principle is this, from this parable, is that God applies one standard. And the standard that's applicable to you is the standard applicable to your enemy. So you, you can really choose. The punchline is in the last verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. This is the standard of justice. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart, this is the standard of mercy. So you want the standard of justice or mercy, you decide. What happened was that Let me just uh, do this now. Just trying to get used to the slides. Yeah. Which is the better way to live? Actually, uh, justice is better, of course. Justice is, sorry, justice is good. But mercy is better. And James tells us this. James 2.13 says, For mercy triumphs over judgment. Matthew 5.7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, God is not putting a gun on our head and saying, You must forgive because I say so. I know it, it just doesn't work. God is not saying that. But what is God doing is that He has actually given us a choice. We are entitled to justice, of course. But then, of course, we will also reap what we have sown. We too will receive justly what we deserve if we apply the higher standard of justice. You know, uh, I, I really feel that we have not taken this uh, standard, this principle seriously. Because, you know, when I hear from pastors, I read so many books on, on this topic. Every time, very senior pastors, their pastors' wives, members, very senior members, leadership, they share the testimony about decades of resentment, help pastors sharing about resentment against their relatives, usually parents or members. We don't take this principle very seriously. And I'll tell you why. It is, the reason is that it is very hard for us to just understand that we have a God who is all-loving, but a God who is not always merciful. We, we can't take that. So God must be always faithful, always good, always loving, always kind. How can He be not always merciful? So we don't take this seriously. But look at these two verses right in front of you. God is absolutely serious. Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. Do not judge and you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, 
you will be judged. By the standard of measure, it will be measured to you. James 2.13, he who has shown no mercy will have judgment without mercy. Now, is it clear enough that God can apply this standard to you? Of course it does. But it's, it's absolutely our choice. If we want the standard of the law, standard of justice, this is the standard that will be applied to you. You choose. That's how God will deal with you. Now, thankfully, we can choose. And we can choose to live under grace. Choose to live under grace. Receive mercy. Don't judge others, Luke chapter 6, 37 and 38. Don't judge others and you will not be judged. Don't accuse others of being guilty and you will not be accused of being guilty. You see, standard of grace, mercy. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Now, we always look at this first and we think, oh, give and you will receive refers to giving, cash, money. But actually, no. This applies to the entire verse. You will be given much. Meaning, that it applies to grace. When you release grace, you will receive grace abundantly. When you extend forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness freely. It's going to be abundant. To the extent that you release, you will receive abundantly. It's a wonderful place to be in, to be living under grace and to receive mercy. Brothers and sisters, we choose. So that's my first point. Two ways to live. Now, I want to talk to you about two kingdoms at war. This is also important because we have to be convicted in our hearts that God is not placing upon us an incredible burden and God is not unreasonable there is a higher agenda and that is the reason why he has to make this demand such a high one, such an important one, so central to the gospel message. And I believe that the theme of forgiveness is central to the gospel. Uh, Paul himself said this, 1 Timothy 1.15. Well, you know, he, he, the, of, of his history, of persecuting the church, uh, causing so much damage. And when he was saved, he told Timothy this, this is a trustworthy statement. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about, he told Timothy. This is trustworthy. It deserves full acceptance. Take it from me. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I know it because I, among whom I'm foremost of all, if he can pick me up, clean me up and save me, Jesus is really serious about the mission to save the world. So that was how Timothy, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, it's gone blank. Yeah, okay. Next, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him. Again, you see, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. God in Christ reconciling us to him. Very, very central to the gospel message. Now, there is a clash of the kingdom. The two kingdoms are at war. The mission of the kingdom of God is, first, redemption, then reconciliation, then restoration, and then repentance, and transformation of life, and salvation, that by all means, that all will be saved. The agenda and objective of the kingdom of, of, of Satan is totally different. If possible, dissension and disunity, disaffection, disagreement, distrust, discord, separation, divorce. This is the objective of the devil. Let's go back to the mission of, of uh, Christ first, of his kingdom. How is this achieved, the kingdom of God, in bringing redemption and salvation? Well, it is achieved by total forgiveness. It means that God has applied the standard of mercy. God has stopped counting our debt. He has nothing against us. All these things, uh, as I've just read, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 19, not counting their trespasses against them. Total forgiveness. And so, what is the manifesto? What is the manifesto of Christ? The manifesto of Christ now, because this is the objective, by all means win some. Redeem all men. It means loving our neighbour will be the basic expectation. Doing good to our neighbour as we want to be treated will be the minimum standard. Why? Because this is the way to win some if we cannot win all. On the other side, once we have, we are able to fulfil what is on the left-hand side, we are able to do what is on the right-hand side. And then, we will unite as one body under Christ. We will embrace a higher agenda, a bigger agenda of the kingdom of God. This agenda requires all of us to yield up our rights for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, for the fulfillment of God's plan, and to make sure that the mission of God is achieved to the end. So this, this is the manifesto of Christ. It's, it's a very big plan. And a community forgiven is now able to be a community that is forgiving. God's agenda is very grand. Reconciliation of the world to himself. You know that Paul understood this and he, he put it up, he put it in a way that is really very nice. You know, um, of, I think of all the apostles, I really feel that Paul was the one who suffered the most in terms of injustice, in terms of, uh, you know, being maligned, uh, cursed, and uh, uh, mistreated. 
He should be the most bitter because some of these ill treatment came from the church. So you can read about it in Philippians 1, 17. Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. He said, the former, that means this, this one group of Christians, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motive. I know what, they are competing with me. They're thinking the, to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And then Paul said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. It doesn't matter how badly I'm treated. The important thing is that the cause of Christ is advanced. So I will not take offence. I think that the, one of the chief ways uh, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit is by dissension in the church and bitterness in our hearts. Why do I say so? Because when you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, 31, 32, Ephesians 4, 30, 31, 32, it's, it, it's written like this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you. Because it is put like that. There is a flow. And I think that really bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, slander is one of the, the chief ways that we, we really grieve the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, I, I, I think that God is shouting at us. Stop using Satan's weapons in my kingdom. Stay in the grey zone and work with me. Okay, be before I... Okay, I, I want to tell you this story. This is a very, very powerful story. Uh, you know that... Let me get it from here. <clears throat> At the end of World War II, in 1945, uh, the Allied forces wanted to bring the, the worst criminals responsible for the war and the Holocaust. So uh, they identified 21. These are the worst Okay, these are the, the monsters, the men charged with the most horrendous crime in the country, men responsible for mass extermination of 600, 6 million European Jews. And it was called the Nuremberg, Nuremberg Trials. You can read about it. There are books written on it. And they were looking for a chaplain to minister to these 21 people. Now, it's very, very puzzling, you know. Uh, these people clearly did not have the spiritual welfare of the people they murdered. Why is it now that the Americans or the Allies forces would feel that it is necessary and humane to offer them uh, a, a chaplain to minister to their spiritual needs? Anyway, this is a very American thing. Like, I know in every prison they have a chaplain. So uh, this is no exception. 
they scouted around and they found a German-speaking pastor, and his name is, of course, Henry uh, Reck. Oh, pronounced correct, Henry Reck. And they call him, people call him the ministers to monsters. Uh, finally, he, he could minister to 13 out of 21 people. And they are, these 13 are the Hitler's most malevolent leaders who were on trial. And when he was asked, do you know what you are doing? You can opt out. Do you want this job? He said, I want, I'll do it. Did he know what he was doing? And it is recorded for us, it is in a book that I read. He said that he believed that it is the duty, his duty as a Christian minister to bring redemption to these souls and to save as many as he could. He took his, his job very seriously. He would, I'll just show you what um, it's like. Now, everybody is in a cell of their own, alone, with a guard outside. No contact with anybody, except, of course, the chaplain. The chaplain will meet them in the chapel and meet them in the cell. And he would minister to them, pray with them, and visit them, shake their hands, greet them. Uh, he said, that, I want to be as friendly as possible so that the message will not be hindered by the wrong approach. And so he ministered to them throughout the duration of the trial. And this man, uh, um, Hans uh, Fritz, this is the propaganda chief of, of Hitler, one of the 13 who was executed. He wrote this, that in his domain, God alone was judged. And the question of earthly guilt had no significance. His only duty was the care of the soul. This is a testimony from one of the 13. And uh, did, did uh, Henry Craig know what happened at the Holocaust? I mean, he, he, he was an American, right? So actually, he did. He went to one of the uh, concentration camps, a Dutch house, and he knew what the people were responsible for. He went in with his mind and eyes open. He saw everything in Dachau, the concentration camp. And he did not take his uh, work lightly. It was, it was recorded that he, he would only administer communion when he is fully satisfied that the soul is converted, there is repentance. And so finally, he could take communion with eight of them. And then he walked with these people to the gallows. Now, I find this story, it really touched me because truly, Paul is correct. Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I am the chief of all. This is really the serious agenda of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how bad you are. In his time, Paul thought that he was really the worst. And here, in our time, there are people who have committed really horrendous crime. But the mission of Christ is undaunting. It is unstoppable that all will be saved from the kingdom of Satan.
a little bit about the mission of, of Satan. You know, we are, we are the special target of Satan. And the target is always about, uh, uh, the, the, the stratagem is always about relationship. Most of the grounds that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. Satan's stratagems, they are very hidden, very subtle. Let me tell you what I mean. He always appeals to our sense of justice. And he appeals to our sense of rightness, fairness, justice. Because he's a legalist, he's an accuser, he's a master prosecutor. And at the core of the mission of Satan is because of our this sense of justice and as unmet, then he can create an atmosphere that is conducive to breed bitterness, dissension, separation, disaffection, destruction, then disunity, discord, divorce. He must create that situation and he can do it if we revert back to the standard of the law. He will keep us focused on the wrong committed to us, committed against us. He will remind us of the mistreatment and the resultant law, resultant loss because of the mistreatment. He will convince us that our anger is actually righteous, justified. He will, he will emphasize the unfairness of it all. And so when we opt for the path of justice, a condition is already set for the seed of anger to then germinate, then this emotional plant will have roots. The roots is called the roots of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, 15. Hebrews 12, 15 say that, see to it that you don't miss the grace of God, this side, and then, and the root of bitterness will spring up that cause trouble. The law side, make sure you don't miss the grace because otherwise you will end up on this side. When we are out of the grey zone, we step back into a legal system that gives him the power to accuse us and for us to accuse one another. You know, in this zone that the devil is in charge of, he has a lot of construction materials. And these materials we use to build walls and barriers. This is the reason for hostility, division, condemnation, dissension, distrust, divorce. So, there are two ways to live. There are two kingdoms at war. Two ways to live. You choose the standard and you live with the, you, you live with the, uh, the, your choice on how you want God to, be treat, to treat you. Two kingdoms at war. The devil knows how to work in us by appealing to our sense of justice so that we go back always to the standard of the law and judgment and then condemning ourselves. God has given us actually a grand plan and we are a part of this grand plan. What is this grand plan? The message of reconciliation is entrusted to us. Sorry, I just showed. This is the Nuremberg trial, right? Just some picture. 
The plan is to. Maybe I shouldn't show this first. Just I'll just I'm just finish my last bit. You know, uh, he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And he said that whatever you buy on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. This is a very powerful verse, Matthew 16, 19. We are given the keys to heaven. It means uh, that actually uh, when I say, brother, I forgive you. I hold nothing against you. Father, please forgive him. Don't hold anything against him. It will be done. It happened when Stephen was being stoned to death, when he was dying. That was exactly what he said. Lord, do not hold these sins against them. And I believe that because he declared that, it is loosed in heaven. Why do I believe that? Because God then worked powerfully, intervened miraculously, and saved Paul dramatically, the worst of sinner. Because Stephen was prepared to say, God, don't hold this against them. I release them. Satan had no power in that situation. Satan could not hold, uh, you know, uh, uh, Saul, I believe. So I believe that we, we really participate in the mission of Christ of setting people free. And if this is such a big, grand vision and mission of God, why do we take weapons from the kingdom there to use it on the kingdom here, which is really grieves the Holy Spirit when we cannot see beyond our needs and wants and rights to look at the grand plan of what God wants to achieve. So this is, this is uh, I, I'm, I'm, I will just, uh, in just five minutes, talk to you about this thing. Two ways, two ways to live, two kingdoms at war, and I'll tell you uh, that there are two steps to take. Sometimes we do not know whether we have forgiven. We have said so many times that we forgive. I've read many, many stories. They are all uh, by, by pastors and, and authors who say that uh, there was someone particular, uh, the, the wife of a very famous uh, pastor. He said that uh, the, the mother was abused when she was young. So when she was raising them, she was very abusive uh, to, to her and, and the siblings. Abusive means that take the father's belt and really whack. And he grew up, she grew up being very resentful. There is no love for the mother. And, but being a Christian and a pastor's wife, she had said many times, I forgive my mother, I've forgiven her already. But there was no peace. So one day, she went before the Lord and said, God, I, I have to confess, okay? I don't love my mother. I have no feelings for her. Please, just help me and tell me what's wrong. And the Lord told her, you have not honoured your mother. And she was struck. And that was what she did. She, what happened was that not only did she say that she will forgive, she started to visit the mother, sometimes even twice a week 
just doing things for her, just hugging her, being kind to her, to really honour her. And then she said, uh, the mother's attitude then changed and the atmosphere that is dark and heavy broke. So actually, look at this thing. There are three ways that we can free ourselves. Detached forgiveness is just walk away. And some people will just, they just don't think about it. Don't think about the offender. Don't talk to the offender. Avoid him. Don't be in the same cell group. Don't be in the same ministry. Just avoid and things will be better. I've forgiven him already. But actually this is detached forgiveness. It's not real forgiveness. Some people do a little bit better. They say, okay, I forgive which is what the story I just told you about, the pastor. I forgive my mother. And actually, it's not good enough. Another story I heard, and again from another book I read, there was a lady who was also abused by the father. And so for, for several decades, even though she said countless times, I forgive my father, there was a spirit of heaviness. So she went to a visiting speaker who was there to do ministry. And this, the spiritual, this minister said that, I know you have said it, but have you ever prayed for your father? And he just, uh, no. And she said that she started to pray regularly for the father. And she said that because of her willingness to take this additional step, the spirit of heaviness just lifted. So don't just say, I forgive. The intensity of the ill feelings may be reduced. There may be more tolerance but there is no positive feeling. There's no love. And this is, this is incomplete. This is limited. The way to have full forgiveness is do the gospel way. You do it the kingdom way. Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. The kingdom way is this. You complete the forgiveness by not just saying, Father, I forgive them. Or you go to the, uh, to the, the offender, I forgive you then you start to pray for them. And sometimes you've got to go beyond. You've got not only got to pray, you've got to pay. You pay in goodness and in kindness. Is this very unnatural? Very unnatural. But you see, we are on the mission to win. We are on the mission to save. And you just look at the examples Jesus gave in Matthew chapter Oh, have I? Uh... Okay. Let me give you uh, this story, and then I'll end with one slide, and I'm done. Okay. Okay. This this slide I want to show you. Uh. You know, we are on a mission to win, to win hearts. And if you read chapter um, five of Matthew. Jesus gave four examples of doing incredible things. Let me just show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is what standard? Standard of the law, right? Reciprocate. Lah. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the left. Now this is the angry and aggressive person. You must 
always try to find a door. Don't run into a wall. What I mean is this. Everybody, every relationship, every person has a door. If you antagonize this angry and aggressive person, you will hit a wall. In this particular verse, Jesus is just giving four random examples. The door to this man is you. Don't retaliate. Do not resist him who is evil. If he slaps you, let him have the other cheek because that is the way to the door. Then he gave a second example. If anyone would take your tunic, sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This, this second person is very rights conscious, very litigious. You want to hit the wall? You litigate with him. That's not the way. Because the agenda of the kingdom is to enter to the door, to get the heart, to save the man, to redeem him for the grand big picture of God. So you don't litigate and run to the wall. You, you give him more than what he is entitled. And then he will get into the wall, the door. Third one, this person wants to make you walk one mile. Go two. This is a very... The, guy, the type of guy who will throw his weight around, you know, wants his way. You know, you want to resist him, you will hit the wall. But to enter the door, give him more than what he expects, you will get into the door. And of course, the last one is, it's not, not nasty, but he's very pesty, like, you know, very needy and pesty. You want to borrow money. and Well, if you deny him, you will hit the wall. But if you meet his need, you will walk through the door. So this is the principle of the kingdom. And I, I will show you this story, you know, of, sorry, this, this the, 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 the picture of that family. Now, this is a story of... Um, Uh, Jay and David Chong. Uh, This is a very exceptional story. I will will end with this story, all right? Just give me uh, uh, maybe three more minutes. You know, uh, David, the man who is in the T-shirt white, uh, was only 23 when she married his wife, uh, Jay, on the extreme left with the baby. She was 21, she was 23. They got married very young. Both were very ambitious. Both were very successful. Um... And then their son, Mark, was born, but born prematurely. And not only born prematurely, he had a lot of health problems, so in and out of hospital, very frequent hospital stays. And because they were young parents, uh, they were unprepared to handle the stress. Uh, and then somehow the marriage started to fracture and crack, and eventually Jay committed adultery. Jay committed adultery two times at home. And uh, did I say... Jesse Jane, no, David committed adultery. Jay found out about David's adultery. He did it at home. And so the lady, Jay, retaliated. She walked out of the home and she promised herself, she said, I will never forgive him for this. I will do it back to him and let him know what it is like to be betrayed. So he moved back to, to live with the mother and took the child. And then she also committed adultery just to hit back. Of course, the damage was irreparable. And eventually they were divorced. And uh, what happened is that uh, uh, Jay was very remorseful and she, a, a friend brought her to church. She repented of her sins. 
and she told the Lord that she really regret what had happened. And she, she said that, Lord, I remember that when my child, Mark, years ago, when she was seriously ill and nearly died, and I said that when things were okay, I'll go back to you. I never did. But this time, I remember, I repent. If you would take me back, you can have me. And so God took her at his word, her words. And then the Lord told her, serve David. You know, she said, I've never known that God can speak. I heard God speak. Serve David. What do you mean, God? So that Sunday when the father went to church to pick up the boy to go back, Jay told us, uh, the ex-husband, can I go back with you? So very unusual request, but she went back to the apartment. The father and son locked themselves in the room to have father and son time. She cleaned up the house, did the ironing, the washing, the mopping. And she said that this is very unnatural because I was a career woman and I was a diva. So uh, I don't do ironing. I don't do mop. The housework is not done by me. But she said that the flat was just so filthy. Every week she would just serve the husband. Finally, uh, the boy, Mark, was converted in Sunday school and, and uh, David was very touched. That, you know, finally, this is a miracle. Finally, even though I'm not a good father to Mark, you, Heavenly Father, can be a good father to Mark. And something broke, you know. She started to weep and cry and cry and, and she just repented. And later on, she started to experience the goodness of God. Or of course, she started to experience the goodness of God through the ex-wife. She said that this is the totally woman, different woman that I married the first time. So what happened is that six months later, they were remarried. Uh, and they were reconciled, remarried. And because they said, I saw a totally different woman. This woman that I married the second time is much better than the woman I married the first time. And he said that now we are very, very watchful about our relationship. And he said this, if you don't have God as your anchor, it is very difficult to have any relationship. The ability to forgive really comes from the Father. So, do you understand that this is the agenda of the kingdom of God? It is so dead serious about restoring everything, repairing everything. The mission of Christ is the salvation of soul. People are at stake. And the worst of the worst, no, everybody is included in this plan. And we are part of this plan in the mission of God. How can we take the weapons from the enemy to use it in the family and in the church. Put it down. Forget about justice. Is God not interested in justice? No, no, no. When God deals with me, and I, God has dealt with me, I've been punished, I have suffered uh, discipline and, and consequences, but it's always redemptive. But coming from the person I've offended, it will be revengeful, not redemptive. So I, I believe that God is interested in justice, but that we leave it to the God who sits on the throne. 
our part is to be on His side, to carry out His mission, to fulfill His manifesto, which is to bring the world under Him. So let's pray and we give thanks to God. Father, thank you for grace received and it is our joy to embrace this mission, your, your agenda, to be part of this plan. Grace received, grace released. Forgiveness that is fully experienced, we want to extend. And I pray, God, that you will help us to work through some of the things in our lives that we find hard to let go. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit, a miracle of God, to undo the damage caused by the devil. But God, we are on your side now. We are the children of the light and we have the Holy Spirit. What you have done for others, do for us. I pray that forgiveness will be complete. We will not only be able to say, we will pray and we will pay God with everything you want us to do for the person who has wronged us. And I pray for the unity of this church. I pray that this church will be one. I pray that what, what the, the fracture that has caused in this church, you will heal, you will mend, you will do only what you can. And we thank you for speaking to us. Help us to remember these words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.